in probably one of the least known books in the Bible. Hey, Valerie. One of the least known books of the Bible, and that is um, Song of Solomon. And it's not a book that you sit down and probably do devotions from that book very often. Um, it's a, it is a book that's included in the 66 books of Scripture. And as we'll look at tonight, there are um, there's some, uh, a lot of things to, to learn from it and glean from it. Uh, besides the obvious as you read through it and read, read about it, we'll, we'll get to that tonight. So um, other laptops back, so hopefully this is going to work a lot smoother than, the, than my old one. They, I had to get a repair done on this and got it fixed and, and picked back up the other day. So as we make our way through this book, Song of Solomon is just eight chapters. It's the shortest book that Solomon wrote. He wrote the book of Proverbs, which is 31 chapters. And last week we looked at Ecclesiastes, which is 12 chapters. And so this is an eight-chapter book, and it was probably written in his much younger years, especially younger than Ecclesiastes. If you were with us last week or if you heard on podcasts and listened to the study on Ecclesiastes as we went through that book, uh, he was in his uh, retirement years or older years at least, um, uh, maybe probably way past retirement by that time. But anyway, he was in his older years when he wrote Ecclesiastes. But this Song of Solomon was written probably in his earlier years. And so as we look at it, of course, the key word that everyone would think of in studying Song of Solomon is love. And uh, we see the obvious physical love found in Song of Solomon, but we'll, uh, we'll see that there's, there's um, more to it than meets the eye, so to speak. Eight chapters in that book, and in the book of uh, Song of Solomon, um, let's just look at the timeline first, and we'll move on from there. So Proverbs was written about 982 B.C., and Song of Solomon was written probably about 20 years before that, when he was in his younger days. And then we looked at Ecclesiastes last week, and it was probably written a um, little bit later than, um, than Proverbs. But um, Song of Solomon was probably written about 962, even though it, uh, it probably happened in his life later on. So sometimes when you look at dates of a book being written, um, those, the events of the, that book may have happened way before. Best example of all of them probably is Genesis. When Moses, uh, when Genesis was written, it was written by Moses. Genesis, Moses wasn't even born when Genesis uh, was occurred. All those events occurred because, as you know, he was an ancestor from Abraham, and, it clo- and Genesis closes with uh, the twelve sons of Jacob, and uh, you know, in Egypt. And then it's many years later before Moses is even born. So sometimes a book may be written later on, but the, the subject of that book is maybe many years before. So roughly it was around 962 B.C. So it was written, of course, to Solomon's beloved. But we'll, we'll look at a broader application, a broader uh, audience tonight as we look at this, uh, to his beloved. You see that phrase, my beloved, seven times in the book of Song of Solomon. Sometimes it's, it's most of the time it's actually the, uh, the woman in the book that, that says my beloved, but um, it's, it's seen seven times. And then there are four times that the statement, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, and then this and that, uh, is said about four times. So um, this book is written... Um, is like a, a story, a love story in three acts. And so the thing about it is, is it's not written where it flows um, just, you know, one, two, three like that. It kind of it kind of goes back and forth when you read it because it'll refer sometimes back to, future, to, to past events. Now, when you read through this book, it, it, eyes, it you know, at first glance, when you, when you read through this book, it just seems like it's just completely a love story between a man and a woman. And it is that, of course, that's what it is. Uh, at first glance. And so um, the, uh, at some point in the book, well, first of all, it, it begins with a uh, young lady in there that's later called in chapter 6, verse 13, a Shulamite. So if you want to go there with me. Return, return, O Shulamite. That's from an uh, outlying region of Shulam. It's where she's from. Return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return, that we may look upon thee. What will you see in the Shulamite, as it were, the company of two armies? And so um, the book is about a young lady, a Shulamite young lady. And then the, the mysterious stranger and the king revealed is the same person as Solomon. Because in the book, in places, you see where she, she hasn't completely identified him. And then by the end of the book, we find out uh, who he is. And so um, basically, if you wanted to break it up into three acts, that's the way that it would be. 
So with that in mind, we're going to look at an overview of the book, and then we're going to talk about how it's not only uh, does not only apply to um, Solomon and this woman that's in the book. If you remember when we were in Psalms a few weeks back, we said that, and we we will do this several more times in our study as time goes by. Um, everything in Scripture has three applications. It has one interpretation. It means what it says, but there are three ways of applying it. One, there is the historical application. That is, that it happened just as the Bible says it happened when it happened. The other is the doctrinal application that will have um, uh, doctrinal truth in there um, found in Scripture uh, to, 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 uh, to learn. The Bible says its first purpose, in fact, in the book of 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, profitable for doctrine. And so there will be a doctrinal teaching in there, sometimes a prophecy teaching. We'll actually see some of that in Song of Solomon tonight. Uh, and then there's the practical, um, practical aspect or practical application of Scripture. Um, there's a lot, there are a lot of things in the Old Testament that may not apply to us directly, but there are practical truths that we draw from it. We saw a lot of that in Psalms. I mean, well, yeah, in Psalms, but in, in Proverbs a couple of weeks ago also. So we'll, what we'll do is we'll just basically get just like a quick look at all eight chapters. Then we're going to come back and we're going to look at it from a, from a little bit different perspective. So as we look at this, we're going to look at it from the literal perspective of how it actually takes place and talk about that. So go with me to chapter 1, if you will. And we're going to read, uh, well, this starts out in verse 1 telling us that it's Solomon who, who, is, uh, who writes this book. Verse 1, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And so um, what I'll do is some places in some of these chapters, as you'll see, I'll read a little, little more than some. Some will only have like two verses. Some will have a little more than that. So if you'll start with me at chapter 1, start at verse number 2 here and read down to verse 7. This is where the young lady, the Shulamite, speaks. Uh, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. I am black but comely, O daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. But mine own vineyard have I not kept. Tell me, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest, and where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? So, the first thing we see is where the young lady speaks. And as she speaks, she describes herself, and she also describes um, the one who her soul loves and that she's after him and that, that she wants to find him. And so in the first part of it, you see her uh, describing herself and seeking him. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. Let's go there. And we see where um, um, she talks some more. And um, here we see how she describes him in a little more detail in in. Um, this describes her, her love and their love for each other. I am the Rose of Sharon. I like that name. Beautiful name in it. I love the, I am the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valleys. Um, there's a song in our, in our hymn book we sing, the Lily of the Valley, and it comes from this verse. Um, the writer based it on that verse there. Uh, verse 2 is the Lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me into his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. There's no chorus we used to sing in camp that come from, those, uh, from that verse there. Verse 5, stay, with me, stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. Boy, she's really, she's really in love, isn't she? Verse 6, his left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. So here she uh, describes her beloved. She describes how uh, her delight is for him. Her delight is in him and, and to see him and be with him and uh, their love for each other. And already you've seen here some references to, um, to trees and to vineyards. You've seen that, and we're going to come back to that thought and uh, look at, at that in, in these chapters as well. Chapter 3, we're just going to look at the first two verses. Uh, none of these chapters are real long at all. Uh, it's a short book, 
But here we see that she's, she's seeking now for him. Um, so he's left the, the, the house, so to speak, left the building <laughs> at this time. So look at verse 1 and 2. By night on my bed I saw him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now and go about the city and the streets, and in the broad ways I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but found him not. So here we see that she's looking for him. She misses him. They're separated uh, because he's left for a time. And because of that, she misses him. Um, it, she expresses her love and desire to be back with him. And so um, all this will come together, and it will make a little more sense here in a few moments. Go, go to chapter 4. Now, this is a, a, a little lengthier section. Um, we're not going to read the whole thing, but here is where he describes her. We're just going to look at a couple of verses and uh, verse one, actually verse one and two, and then we're going to skip down to verse seven. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hairs is a flock of goats that appeareth from Mount Gilead. And I'm guessing what he's reason he's saying that is because a lot of times the goats in those mountains are black and her hair is probably coal black. Verse 2, thy teeth are like the flock of sheep that are even shorn, uh, which came up from the washing, whereof every one bear twins and none is barren among them. Skip down to verse 7, thou art all fair, my love, there is no spot in thee. So we see him describing her and in his love for her, he talks about her beauty, and then also, um, as he does that, there are places where you'll see that he talks about um, her character also, and his because of his love for her and her beauty, and how much he he loves and adores her. Um, so that's uh, the way he describes her there in chapter four. Then we go to chapter five, and now he watches for her response. Uh, first couple of verses, he's talking again, um, and then. Um, Skip down to verse uh, verse 6 and then down to verse 9. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself. This is her talking here. And was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. So here, uh, look at verse 9. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou shouldst so charge us? And so... Here, he is, um, in this chapter, and in some of the other verses, you can tell he's looking in from the outside. So what he's doing is he's looking to see her response while she's looking for him and while she's seeking him. He wants to know, does, he, does she love him for who he is or for what she can get out of him, basically? Because, you know, we, we see that Solomon is the one writing about here, so he's very wealthy and uh, has a lot of money. And uh, so she, he wants to know... You know, her motives, her intent, as he's standing from the outside watching her. Then skip down uh, the end of chapter 5, and we see where, as, you, as we see a phrase in here, the daughters of Jerusalem, these are the other young ladies around that, that are watching this whole, um, uh, the, the whole thing take place uh, from, from the outside looking in. Chapter 5, verse 16, then we'll go into 6.1. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved... And this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now, verse 1. Whither is thy beloved gone? These are the daughters of Jerusalem answering back. O thou fairest among women, whither is thy beloved turned aside that we may seek him with thee? In other words, we want to see, see this. We know y'all are in love and we want to watch and see uh, your love for each other. And so they answer her back. And so these are some of her friends uh, that she knows and, and um, uh, is around and, and knows them well. They want to watch and see. They want to see this love story unfolding before their eyes. Chapter 7, verse 1. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes. He's, uh, here is rejoicing here. O prince's daughter, the joints of thy thighs are like jewels, the work of thy hands a cunning of a cunning workman. And when you read through there, you'll see rejoicing. It talks about... Um, the delights, verse 6, how fair, how pleasant art thou, O love, for delights. And so um, it, there's a great rejoicing here because their, their love for each other, and now apparently they're, they're back together. Chapter 8, verse 6 and 7. It kind of repeats a lot of what you read in the first few chapters uh, as, as she is described here. Um, it kind of repeats that, but we see um, their talk for each other and their love for each other. Verse 6, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, 
which have a most vehement flame. Well, he's saying, Ma, we're, we're just, just on fire for each other. We love each other. Verse 7, many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. So we see uh, at this point um, that their love is flourished between each other. And they obviously have a love for each other emotional. They have a love for each other, this physical desire. And that's very obvious as you read through the book. So at face value, when you look at the Song of Solomon, it's uh, somewhat of a romance, of course. It's a, it's a book that has, um, uh, expresses their love for each other. And uh, in, in very definite terms at times. And so um, I'll tell you what, let me, let me skip forward to something here, and then we'll come back uh, if I can find where I put that. You know what? I might have. Yeah, let's go to this. So in each book, we look at lessons learned, right? Well, when you look at the Song of Solomon, there's one lesson that's a little different from some of the others we learn in our other books, and that is not all of Song of Solomon is necessarily to be read in a group setting. As you notice, I've not read all the verses tonight. I've not skipped some verses, obviously, tonight. It's not maybe, but there are other places in Scripture that are not necessarily for, you know, for group reading. But it's certainly something to, to be read on our own and something that, that we can read and, and, uh, and, and, and just a moment, we'll look at some aspects of it that's not only the physical relationship between Solomon and the young lady there. So that's something to keep in mind and to remember. So as you read through the book, at first you might think, well, there's all these good good places about how love and love they are with each other, and all that is, is uh, good and fine, but what does that have to do with me? Well, when you study the Scripture... As you do in any book of the Bible, there are always practical aspects to look at. In just a moment, we're going to see something practical, and then we're going to go something a little further into something doctrinal. So as you look at this and you think about it, you think, well, it's, it's just a love story between two people. And there's some phrases, as we'll get to the end of the study, there's some phrases in there that are, um, that are good verses to memorize and, and good verses that have some you know, deeper meaning than, than surface level. But I want to look at first at something else here. There are seven gardens or vineyards in the Song of Solomon. And each of them, uh, as you look at it, they have a little something to teach us. As you know, in Scripture, um, uh, Jesus used many times agricultural terms. About, you know, where he would, uh, he gave a parable, you know, where he'd plant the seed in the, the four different types of soil. And the same sower sowed the same seed. It was the same seed. The seed's the Word of God. And he sowed it in four different types of soil. One, of course, was, was very barren and hard and nothing grew up. The other, it grew for a while and then it, the, um, it, it didn't, it, it, the weeds choked it out. The other grew some and then it wouldn't bear any fruit. Then the last, of course, has, uh, had much fruit. Uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the, um, of the mustard tree. Um, he taught, and he gives several examples from, from agriculture and so forth. The Apostle Paul does the same thing. Um, he uses some agricultural terms in some of his writing some of his letters, he talks about that. Um, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians, um, for uh, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. So uh, there are several places that agricultural terms, um, we, we look at them, they're, they're very practical for us to understand. So let's look at these seven different gardens or vineyards in the Song of Solomon and look, look at maybe some lessons from them. Chapter 1 and verse 6 is the first one. We read it actually a moment ago. Look not upon me because I'm black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. So um, she helped with other vineyards, but hers was unkept. Because of that, probably... Um, it uh, you grew over with the weeds, or you know things got out of hand. Uh, the the um, the the plant. The, if it's a vineyard, there's probably grapes that you know the uh, the vines were not tended to. Uh, they weren't they weren't uh, taken care of. They weren't pruned when they needed to be pruned so that the the grapes could grow well. I'm sorry, Barbara. I thought it referred to her doing her job, you know, very well. What she had to do with not being able to take care. Of Right, so what she's doing, she's taking care of everything else for everybody else but her own stuff. So there's neglect, right? There's neglect in, in personal stuff. So uh, there's the, the obvious example here is, is, is the, the picture of you know, your own garden not, or own vineyard or whatever being unkept. 
you know, you're not going to be able to enjoy the fruit of it because it probably won't do very well when you're doing for, for everybody else. So a lot of times we can get spread thin. You know, we can be doing something for other people, and that's a good thing to do, but you can get your schedule so out of whack that you're not taking care of the things you need to take care of. So that's, that's the example from this vineyard. It's unkept. She didn't keep her own vineyard because she was busy doing, doing you know, helping with uh, the others. Another one in chapter 2, verse 15. Um, actually, back up at verse, um, uh, let's see, back up at verse, yeah, back up at verse 14, look at 14 and 15. O oh, my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice, for sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Take us foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. So here's a vineyard that, similar to the first one, it's an unguarded vineyard. And because of that, uh, if it's unguarded for whatever reason, whether it's out of neglect because of not enough time, or whether it's out of neglect of just you know being lazy, at either rate, that vineyard's unguarded. And uh, the foxes get in and eat the grapes. And so um, we'll see this verse at the end of our study as one of our key verses in the Song of Solomon. But, you know, a very important truth is found here. Sometimes it's the little things in life that can just peck away at our time. Little things in life that peck away at our desires. The little things in life that peck away at our uh, usefulness um, uh, for the Lord or, or in any other thing in our life. And so uh, these little foxes are the ones that would get to the vines. The bigger foxes, they, the, the younger ones could go, they could get up under and either not try to keep from being seen or they would get up under. They could grab the grapes real easy when the, when the uh, vines were, were hanging low and they weren't kept like they should. And so because of that, they would be able to get in and get the grapes and, and uh, enjoy those. And so it was unguarded. And so uh, sometimes we just have to guard some things in our life. We have to guard our time sometimes. We have to guard the things that are very precious to us. Another example of a vineyard in chapter 4 and verse 12. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. So this is the idea of a garden that is well taken care of. And it's a garden that has that has a barrier around it, like a, like a gate or a fence or something to keep the animals out, <laughs> something to keep the deer from eating your, your garden up or other animals from eating your garden up. So it's guarded very well. And so um, because of that, back up at verse 10 and 11, and because she um, is described as a garden that is enclosed, look at these, uh, these compliments about her. Uh, How fair is my love, my sister, my spouse. Uh, my much better is uh, much better is thy love than wine, and the smell of thine ointments than all spices. Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as honeycomb. Uh, honey and milk are under thy tongue, and the smell of thy garments are like the smell of Lebanon. And because of that, when she does, uh, when she does have a, like, when she is like a garden enclosed, she is able to protect her time, and she's able to take care of herself. And so we just you see some great pictures here from. Uh, each of these vineyards or gardens in the Song of Solomon. Another one, chapter 4, um, verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come, thou south, blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into the garden and eat his pleasant uh, fruits. This is one that has a, a pleasant smell, and apparently it's like a garden that produces a great deal of fruit to enjoy. So uh, that's a, a garden that, that obviously does very, did very well or does very well. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1. I'm coming to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I've gathered my myrrh with spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I've drunk my wine with milk. Eat, O friends, drink. Yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. So this is a garden of a place of fellowship where there is, um, there is uh, abundance there. Abundance to enjoy and to enjoy with others. So um, this garden, this uh, found here is uh, uh, a good one, a place of fellowship. And then in chapter 7, verse 11 and 12, we skip over a chapter or so. And here's a flourishing garden that has a keeper with it that takes care of it. Uh, verse 11, uh, chapter 7. Come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the, in the villages. So the field obviously has uh, some vineyards around it. Verse 12, let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear. And the pomegranates bud forth, there will I give thee my love. So this is a flourishing garden, and it's one that's, that's obviously kept very well. And then 
one more, chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. And here's a garden, also a vineyard, with reward. Solomon had a vineyard at Belhaman. He, um, he let out the vineyard to the keepers. Everyone for the fruit there was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. O, uh, thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand, and those that keep the fruit thereof, two hundred. So we see that this became prof a profitable vineyard one that was taken care of, and it was one with reward. So you see some, some practical ideas also found in the Song of Solomon when you look at it from, from that aspect as well. So now we get to the, um, to the uh, spiritual or the practical aspect and the doctrinal aspect of it as well in the book of Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, of course, is a love story about a man and woman, uh, um, um, husband and wife, mentioned spouse in here, and they love each other. And there's obviously the physical love. And you see it as you read through there, you see descriptions that are, you know, obviously very physical. But yet also, it's a picture in the physical of the spiritual love that God has, first of all, that God has for the nation of Israel. God loves Israel and um they are his Old Testament people. Go with me to Isaiah. Let's look at a play, couple of places here. And Lord willing, we'll be in, the, we'll be in Isaiah next week. Uh, looking at it as our next book of study. Uh, it's kind of a long book, 66 chapters. Let's look at chapter 54. And then we'll go to chapter 62. Isaiah 54. So God had a love for his people Israel. He loved them very much. He began with, it began with Abraham. And through Abraham and his descendants were the 12 tribes and the nation of Israel. God loved Israel very much. He had a love for them that uh, was like no other because he told them that they were you know, his people. He said, I didn't choose you because you're the greatest of all the nations of the earth. In fact, he says, you're, you're much smaller than many of the other nations. I didn't choose you because of that. But he says, I chose to set my eye upon you. I chose you for my special purpose. So uh, Isaiah 54, start at verse 1. Single barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. So here and some other places in the Old Testament, uh, Israel is likened unto uh, God's wife. And the idea is that, and we'll see in, in just a moment, the next picture, uh, next, uh, picture of this, the closest uh, relationship uh, on planet Earth is, is the uh, love and the, the, a marriage between a husband and wife. That is the greatest picture of love and uh, of unity uh, in, in all the world. There's no other picture, nothing else to be pictured like that. Now, what that, it, well, uh, that's a spiritual as well as a physical love, emotional love as well. But what that is in our minds as far as how close that is, that's what God says that he uses that as an example of how much he loves and how close Israel was to him, is to him, and will be again. Verse 2, enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Now that will happen one day in the millennium. It's not going to happen right now, but it will happen one day. Verse 4, fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, yet shalt thou not remember the approach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. So the picture of the love of a husband and wife is seen in Song of Solomon uh, is just an earthly picture, an example of the love that God has for the nation of Israel. Chapter 62 of Isaiah, um, and just one verse, verse 5. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. So again, either direct or indirect uh, references of God to Israel as the bride, as his bride. Now, what has happened um, throughout the centuries? Well, there was a time where God quit dealing with Israel. Remember, after all their disobedience and by the end of the Old Testament, God is not dealing with them in the way he did early on and through Abraham or through, well, through Abraham, but through the 12 tribes, through Moses, 
through the king. He's not dealing with them the same way. So in the New Testament, there is um, God sends His Son, the Lord Jesus, to be their Messiah. Israel rejects their Messiah, and uh, he, He's put on a cross now as individuals. Many, many Jews did get saved. Many of them were saved after Jesus rose from the dead, of course. The book of Acts records that there were Jews that got saved, but as a nation, as a nation, they had rejected Him. And so also in the book of Isaiah, he describes that. Is, uh, he says, where is your mother's bill of divorcement? So in other words, God's saying in that relational way for us to understand that Israel has been put on the shelf for a time being. Uh, and then in the New Testament, God does this new thing called the church, the body of Christ. You and I, if you're saved, you and I are in the body of Christ where there's neither Jew nor Gentile, though there may be both, of course. God sees us as the church. He doesn't see us with Jew or Gentile as, as in the Old Testament. So one day the rapture is going to happen. The church will be taken out. Dead in Christ shall rise first. Those which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. And then God will then again deal with the nation of Israel during the time of the tribulation. He will again deal with them and draw them to Himself. So we see an example in Song of Solomon that it is a picture on a spiritual level of the love that God has for the nation of Israel. Now let's look at another, which is obvious, and you probably have seen this coming. It's also a picture of Christ's love for His church. Go with me to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. And then we'll be just a little ways right past that in a moment in Ephesians, 2 Corinthians 11. So the closest relationship on planet earth, God uses as a picture of the closeness that he had with Israel in the Old Testament. And now he's going to use that same picture as the unity, the union uh, that, that um, Christ has with his church. For, uh, 2 Corinthians 11 Verse 1 and 2, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you as, uh, excuse me, to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste, or chaste, however you want to pronounce it, chaste virgin to Christ. So, uh, as Christians and the body of, and being part of the body of Christ, we belong to Him. Go over to Ephesians chapter 5, and this, this uh, is... Uh, a little lengthier passage and, and brings this truth out a little more. Ephesians 5, we'll start verse 23 and read through verse 32. Well, verse 22 says, Why submit yourselves unto the, your own husbands is unto the Lord. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. So the, the uh, responsibility of the husband is the head, um, is, is um, we see it, the example of Christ as being the head of the church. Now, he brings it a little farther. Go, go with verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands and everything. Here we go. Husbands, love your wives. There's not a period there. There's a comma. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So every husband has quite a task ahead of himself. That is quite an example of love, to love your wife the way Jesus loves his church. Let's continue on with that. It says he gave himself for it. All right? So we see, again, the example. Love, physical love, uh, as being an example of the spiritual love for Christ his church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And that goes back to what he said to love your, your wife as yourself. Verse 30, For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I, see, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see some beautiful pictures and some beautiful uh, New Testament truth here. For one thing, we are 
we are as the, the wife and the husband are one flesh. We are of Christ's flesh and bones. We are part, we are his body. We're, we are the body of Christ. That's why in, a couple of, uh, in, in Ephesians, a couple of the places Paul writes and says and calls us the body of Christ. We are his body. There's nothing closer on earth. So here's a beautiful truth. We believe in eternal security, of course. Here's a beautiful truth. If a Christian was to lose his salvation, then that would mean that Jesus would have had to amputate part of his body. Isn't that something? That's how close you are, believer. Isn't that a beautiful thing to know? That we are so secure in Jesus Christ that we are his body. That is awesome. Now, Paul talks about this in other places in Romans and, and 1 Corinthians that because we're his body, uh, we're his hands, we're his eyes. And so because of that, we are gifted. We are given gifts in the body of Christ. And so he says, you know, can one say because I'm not uh, uh, the, the eye, am I not of the body? Of course not. We're all in the body of Christ. And so what a wonderful, beautiful picture found physically in the Song of Solomon that's spiritually true for you and me that we are the bride of Christ as the church. There's no closer relationship than husband and wife on planet Earth. There's no closer relationship than being God, uh, the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So we see that here in Song of Solomon. Uh, as I already said, uh, looked at this a moment ago and skipped back. Not all of Song of Solomon is to be read in a group setting. But here are some beautiful prophecy found in this. Look at this. I love this. Go back to chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Song of Solomon. And I love this. There's some, some great stuff in here. Um, Song of Solomon chapter 2. It describes, this is... Um, this is the, uh, the, the young lady describing her love and describing how she sees um, her love as he's making his way back to the, to the house, uh, to, to their place. Uh, verse 4 mentions the banqueting house. Look at verse 8 and uh, read with me, follow with me as I read down to verse 13. The voice of my beloved, behold, he cometh leaping upon the mountains. He's happy. He wants to get back to her. Skipping upon the hills. Man, that young man's uh, happy. I know he's a young man because you can't do it in your 50s. You can't skip like that. My beloved is like a roe or a young heart. Behold, he standeth behind our wall. He looketh forth at the windows, showing himself through the lattice. He's looking through the lattice work. He sees her. And he wants to see her before he even gets in there to, uh, to be able to be with her. Verse 10. My beloved spake and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds has come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Now, that's not a turtle turtle. That's a turtle dove. Uh, in the book of Leviticus, it mentions a, a turtle. In the context you read, it's talking about a turtle dove. It's a dove. It's not like the turtle's going to sit there and start talking. It's, it's a, a turtle dove. Verse 13, the fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with tender grape have a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. I love that. Uh, back verse 10, rise, my, rise up, my love. Verse 13, arise, my love. I love that. That is great. So this is a picture of the rapture of the church where Paul says, the dead in Christ shall rise first, which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Back 20-something years ago, probably close to 30 now, new song. They wrote a song called Arise, My Love. There are a handful of, of, of songs that make me have chills or even cry sometimes. And when I hear that song, I bawl like a baby. But it comes from this passage. What Now, what it's talking about, and it's perfectly fine to, to put that here or to use that, is about the resurrection of Jesus, where he says, or God says to his son, rise, my love. Uh, the grave no longer has a hold on you. <laughs> I love that. Anyway, he says, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And so one day uh, he will say to us, rise up, come up. It's time to be uh, home with the Savior. It's time to be home with the groom. The bride will come and be with the groom. So it's a beautiful picture right here of the rapture of the church. We'll actually come back to that in just a moment for something else. But go with me to chapter 3, and here's a picture of the tribulation. Now the Bible, in fact, we'll look at a reference in Matthew 24. The Bible describes in the Old Testament, and then as we'll see in the New Testament as well, when the tribulation happens, um, God is once again going to deal with Israel. The church will be gone. The Antichrist will be in power. And so it's going to be very, very difficult to get through that tribulation uh, without, 
you know, being caught by the Antichrist, and if you don't have the mark, being beheaded by the Antichrist. And so Israel is going to be awaiting and anxious for their Messiah to come. Because those who believe you're in the tribulation will know we missed our Messiah, and he's going to come back this time, and we need to be expecting him. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 4. We read two of these verses a while ago. Uh, By night on my bed I sought him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. Looking, can't find him. I will rise now and go about the city and the streets and the broadways. I will seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. Can't be found. Verse 3, the watchmen that go about the city found me, to whom I said, Saw ye him with uh, whom my soul loveth? Verse 4, it was but a, a little that I passed from them, but I found uh, him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him to my mother's house, to the chamber of her that conceived me. So finally she finds him. She's looking. She's looking. It doesn't say how much time went by, but she couldn't find him. Go with me over to uh, Matthew 24. Oh, well, actually, go to chapter 5, verse 6 real quick, and then we'll go to Matthew 24. 5, 6, same book, Song of Solomon. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself and was gone. My soul failed when he spake. I sought him, but could not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. So just as the nation of Israel, uh, you know, for these um, many centuries now, um, they had rejected their Messiah, but he's going to come back for those in the tribulation who believe and uh, take them to be with him. Matthew 24, this is a little lengthy. But you'll see the parallel here of seeking for um, their Messiah and the uh, bride seeking for her for her love. Matthew 24, verse 15. A little lengthy, but bear with me. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Here we go. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe to them that are with child and them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no nor shall ever be. They're all scattered. They're all gone. They're looking. They're, they're around. They're trying to find a place of safety. And their Messiah hasn't come back. Verse 22. And except those days shall be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall send you, lo, here is Christ, or there believe it not. For there shall, be false, there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch as it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Behold, I told you before. Wherefore shall they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as a lightning cometh out of the east and shineth to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then it says in verse 38, Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So uh, just as she was looking for a beloved and for a time could not find him, Israel in the tribulation will be looking for the Messiah. And then finally, finally he will appear, the one for whom their soul had waited. Um, Chapter 6, what's that? It's kind of strange when you study the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes back, Right. The second time he's coming to a roaring life. He sure will. That's right. He's going to come back with vengeance. No, you don't. <laughs> Good point, Mr. Gerald. Let's go back to chapter 6. And uh, then actually from this, we'll, we'll go to one of those passages Mr. Gerald was just talking about. Chapter 6 of uh, Song of Solomon. And then we'll go to Revelation 19. Chapter 6. I think we got one more after this. This kind of opens up the Song of Solomon a little bit, doesn't it? Helps you see some things in there. Um, just, you know, when you look at the surface, you, you see that love story, and it's kind of like, well, that's wonderful. But chapter 6, verse 4, Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirzah, come to Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Chapter, same chapter, 6, verse 10. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning? Fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as as an army with banners. Back in the day, the word terrible didn't mean horrible or awful. The word terrible in the English language early on, you know how English language changes over time. Uh, you go to Revelation 19, if you will. The word terrible literally meant one who, who um, 
caused terror in something because of how powerful they are. It doesn't necessarily mean to be horrible or awful. It means that it's something to be, you, you're in awe about it. You're, and sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good, but to be terrible doesn't always mean bad. It means that you're in, uh, in awe about it. That it's something that, that, get, that get, definitely gets your attention, shakes you up. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had his name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Here you go. Talked about army with banners. 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's you and me. We're going to come back with him. And it talks about uh, the armies there. And so Solomon talks about uh, an army with banners. That phrase is used twice there. Just a, uh, great, uh, just a great reference to, uh, to the uh, second advent. And then there's one more back in chapter 2. We looked at it a moment ago, but this is a, a picture of Christ's millennial reign. Go to uh, Song of Solomon again. In, when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom on earth, one thing he's going to do is restore this earth the way it was before the fall with Adam and Eve. Um, it'll be beautiful again. There'll be all kind of trees and vegetation. It'll be a beautiful place. It'll be restored to its previous glory. And in chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, look at the references we read a while ago uh, about the beauty of, um, of, the, um, of the creation around. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. Time of singing of birds has come. Uh, the voice of the turtle is heard in the, our land. The fig tree put forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. And so there is the, um, the beauty of, of nature around. And then the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, it's interesting that it mentions the fig tree there uh, in Song of Solomon. But in Isaiah 55, verse 12, in verse 13, for you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. There will be great rejoicing among nature. Verse 13, instead of the thorn shall come of the fir tree, instead of the briar shall come of the myrtle tree. It shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So he mentions the, the beauty of the tree, or she mentions it, when her beloved comes back. When he's leaping, he's all excited to see her and see the, the, uh, the springtime mentioned there. And so here it's going to be like a perpetual spring in the millennium as uh, Jesus comes back to reign and make the earth back what it once was. A couple of places where he's seen in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 7 mentions a shepherd. And of course, we know that Jesus is our shepherd. We talked about that some in, um, in, in our psalm study, of course, when we look, looked at it. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, uh, John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. Uh, and then also in chapter 1, verse 14, he's called the beloved. And also two other places there, 2, verse 8. And 8 verse 5, uh, he's called the beloved, um, greatly, one that is greatly loved. And Psalm also has some references to beloved. So Jesus is found, even though it's a book that doesn't even mention uh, the Lord's name in there, Jesus is found uh, through those two uh, references in the Song of Solomon. And then here's some, some favorite verses I love in, in Song of Solomon. We, we've already looked at them. Um, in chapter 2, verse 10, then also we saw in that other later, verse 14, Rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. Chapter, uh, same place, verse 14, arise, my love. Um, and then chapter 2, verse 15, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. That's a good devotional verse to sit down sometime and think about that, how the little things in life are very important, uh, but also sometimes it's the little things that can get our attention the most and, and can, um, can become, uh, as the, the book goes, tyranny of the urgent. Uh, you may have read that, I don't know. Um, uh, but the little things sometimes do that in our lives. Then two verses about love as they summed up about love in those two verses. Love that um, is, a, is a love that's more than just physical, although they definitely had that. It was a love that brought them together that was stronger than only the physical. Uh, for love is as strong as death, chapter 8, verse 6. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it, chapter 8 and verse number 7. So theirs was a love that was, yes, physical. Uh, they were young and they were enjoying that, but it's also very spiritual and emotional love and a love that's stronger than just the physical. So um, 
four, at least four good verses in there, and there's probably others that you might be able to find if you read through there in the book of Song of Solomon. So let's stop there. Any questions or anything? Yes, ma'am. Denise? Um, Solomon had a bunch of wives. Right. So do we know, is this one particular woman like the main woman, or is she like a composite of a bunch of that is a good question. I think I saw that somewhere else or read that and wondered that. So um, this is done early on so or written from his early, early life. So it might have been before all of them. Who know, in other words, how many there were at this time? I don't know if she was just the one or if there may have been one. When you read through it, it always seems like it's the same one. But Denise has a good point. Could it have been like a just a combination of a bunch of, because, you know, how many wives, how many concubines, right? A lot of them. So, uh, and it could, but probably this was pretty early in his life. And then as time went by, he began to multiply wives to himself, like the kings weren't supposed to do. But he began to multiply wives to himself, you know, to himself. And then, you know, had all the wives and concubines. And then, of course, many of them were those that drew him away from the Lord, you know, idol worship and all that. So I don't have a definite answer on that as far as, if this was maybe the first of many, you know, of that whole line of them. I would think that it's early on when he was really young. So probably, probably not, you know, it wasn't at the point where he had so many. Uh, that would be my guess just from what I can read here. So might have been his very first love. I don't, I don't know. But he was obviously a young man and she was a young lady. So that's a good question, though, Denise. I wish I had a definite for that. No, for, well, we, we need to remember also. When we're talking about the Old Testament, today we're living in the age of grace. Right, right. The Old Testament is totally different. Right, exactly. We were, but a lot of people seem to think that we don't need anything out of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But God gave us 66 books. Right. And when, when He tells, when God tells me that if I, if I take a wife, then I'm supposed to be the head of the home. I'm supposed to be the spiritual head of the home. Right, right. I'm not supposed to be I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home. Right, right. My wife is not supposed to teach my children what the Bible says. I'm supposed to do that myself. Yep, the head of the home, and that's exactly right. Well, that's seen in both testaments, really, you know. So it's very true. Very true. All right. Anything else? All right. Um, I don't know if you've read through it. If you read through it, it's uh it's a little descriptive at times, but um, it's, um, it's just eight chapters, and um, I think hopefully you've got a better overview of Song of Solomon than, than, you, than you have before. So, all right. Like we did Psalms. It's going to be hard, but we're going to do it somehow. <laughs> we're trying to make a book a night. So, all right. Thank you all for your input. Uh, I love you. I appreciate that. Okay, let's stand and close in prayer, and we'll dismiss. Thank you, Lord, for the day you've given us. Again, we're grateful for your, the rain and how you provide. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And there's so much in it in every book um, to study and to read and learn and uh, to draw closer to the God who loves us, the God who gave us his word, the God who sent his son to die for us. And I thank you, Lord, that as we, we open it, every page of scripture, we can see you and something about you there. Uh, we can see in this book, as is, is different as it is from any other book, we can certainly see so much in there uh, about you and your love for us and how um, the, the beauty of the love of a man and woman in Scripture, as we see there in Scripture and the way that you'd have it to be, uh, it's just a spiritual example of what um, your love for us certainly is and, and that our love for you should be. Thank you for your word tonight. Help us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Savior. Pray that you'll keep us safe as we leave from here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all be safe going home.